And I think when I sat for my job interview at the DA's office, that's one of the questions they ask you is what sets you apart from our other applicants? And my first response is my life experience. You know, I don't know how many applicants can say that one, I've carried so many different jobs. I've dealt with the public in so many different ways. Um, you know, whether it be being a Miss Radio USA, being a local title holder in the 4-H division, you know, as a kid growing up all the way till I was 18 and graduating from 4-H, working at the different jobs that I worked, all those things gave me a tremendous ability to be able to relate to people in a different way and be able to apply experience to my caseload, which I think makes a huge difference in your ability as not just an attorney, but in your ability as a professional in any industry. Hey y'all and welcome. You're listening to the Cowgirl Confessions podcast. I'm your host, Dakota Dawn Johnson, small town cowgirl with Southern roots, blazing a trail as a Midwest ranch wife, mama, and businesswoman. The mission of Cowgirl Confessions is to share the wonderfully wild and Western life stories of cowgirls from all walks of life. We'll talk about the highs, the lows, and everything in between when it comes to navigating careers, cowboys, kids, and cattle. Legendary cowgirl Dell Evans said it best, Cowgirl is a pioneer spirit, a special brand of American courage. The cowgirl faces life head on, lives by her own lights, and makes no excuses. Cowgirls take stands, they speak up, they defend the things they hold dear. A cowgirl might be a rancher, a barrel racer, a bull rider, or an actress, but she's just as likely to be a checker at the local Winn-Dixie, a full-time mother, a banker, an attorney, or an astronaut. If you're into wet saddle blankets, talks with God, buckets full of laughter, and the life lessons learned in the process, kick off your boots and settle in. I pray these stories encourage, empower, and give you just the leg up you need. Here's to embracing the cowgirl state of mind, no matter how wild and western life may get along the way. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Cowgirl Confessions podcast, y'all. I'm just so excited to have a dear friend with me today. I have Katie Woods Bogaman from Henrietta, Texas here. She is a wife, a mother of littles, um, an outstanding, like I said, friend of mine. And she's that business savvy friend that I'm just always so thankful to have to be able to bounce ideas off of and that'll just really shoot you straight um, and let you look at things from a different perspective. She is a former felony prosecutor for Tarrant County and now she um, owns her own law practice. So I know you guys are going to enjoy getting to know her and she's going to bring so much value to all of us today. Katie, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Like I told you, this is this is like the highlight of my day today. It gave me a break from some stressful legal work I'm working on. <laughs> well, highlight of my day too. So I guess if you could, you know, just kick off with sharing um, with our listeners a little bit more about yourself and, and kind of how you grew up, because um, you're in Texas now, but you, you started out in California. I did. I did. And sometimes my Texas friends and family hold that against me, but I grew up in um, a very small town in California. My mom and dad actually met in Southern California. My dad was retired Navy and was a lineman for Department of Water and Power. 
And my mom at the time was um, loss prevention supervisor at uh, Sears and Roebuck, I think when they met. And then my mom went on to do lots of things like first women county assessor in Los Angeles County and, and then worked um, for basically what is known as welfare in California, but she ran the mental health substance abuse and domestic violence caseload. And I, um, I attribute a lot of things that I've been experienced or exposed to through both my parents' lifestyles or career choices. So growing up in California in a small horse ranch in a very small town, and when I say small town, I, where we started, um, it was very, very small and it grew and my parents moved further out. And we ended up in a town that basically just had one stop sign. <laughs> and that, you know, for me, cause I've been, I've visited California, but like, I'm, I'm guilty of not thinking that there's places like that in California. Like when I say, oh, I grew up in rural Alabama, like one stop sign makes sense. But to hear you say you grew up in a place like that in California, that's, that's just really interesting to me. Yes. It, well, you know, so many people think of California as Los Angeles or San Francisco, you know, San Diego, the big cities. And while those are, you know, large portions of the state, there's so much agriculture. At least when I was growing up, there was still so much agricultural property and land in California. I mean, it's a huge state. I mean, stretches 900 plus miles um, from the north end to the south end. And in between, there's so much I grew up where there was dairy farms, alfalfa farms, um, a lot of onions and potatoes were grown up, were grown where I grew up. Um, and it was wonderful because I was, although I was out in the country and had that great small town country lifestyle, everything was accessible. So I could drive 45 minutes and hit the ski slopes and go snowboarding, or we could go an hour and go to the beach. And everything was so accessible in California compared to some, you know, it's a long ways for me to go from where we live in Texas to find some place to snowboard. So I missed that a little bit. Yeah. Well, and okay. I've got to know since you grew up in California, did you ever have any, um, you know, experiences kind of with Hollywood or doing any acting or things like that? Yes, I did. That's funny that you ask. Yes, my mom um, actually had a really good friend who was an animal wrangler for the movies and did some really, really famous movies. You know, the Raven, um, uh, the canine cop movies. He handled all the canines. And so he got me in really young with an agent and I did a little bit of stuff here and there. It didn't take me long, especially once I became a teenager to realize that Hollywood was a lot different than what I thought it was. You know, it's not what you see on the big screens. There's so much more behind the scenes. Um, and as much as I enjoyed acting and I did theater all through high school and some in college, I just didn't enjoy what came with that world so much. Um, it's just, a there's 24 hours nonstop. You there's very little positivity. I mean, you might go to a hundred interviews before you ever get a second callback or maybe even a third callback. And, and, you know, then, then you go to do some readings for things that when you got the script from your agent and you read it, you thought, okay, I could do this. And then you get there and they give you a different script and you're like, wait a second, this is not what I signed up for. 
Um, and I was very lucky, you know, there's, there's not a lot of Christian agents, but at the time I had a very Christian agent and I could call her if it was something I was very uncomfortable with, we could call her and say, Hey, when she got there, this is what happened. This is the script they gave. Katie didn't want to read and she had no problem with it. So that was really a blessing because that's not always the case. And sometimes, you know, especially youngsters get yourselves in positions because we don't know any better. You don't want to be blackballed any, you know, they're afraid to say, wait a second, this is not for me and walk away because they may not get called back for anything, or they may not get any more asked for interviews. Um, but my agent was, was Christian based and, um, had been in the business since vaudeville, which, you know, gave her a tremendous amount of experience and connections and was really an asset. So I did, I've done a few things to music videos. I was on a, TV show called The Secret World of Alex Mack as an extra and then did some specialty things on that show. Um, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed a lot of the people you meet. It was just some of the circumstances you just have to be cautious, you know, and you learn to really watch what you are willing to read for and not read for and put yourself in those situations because it doesn't take long for Hollywood to categorize people. And then and it's really hard to get out of those categories, if that makes sense. Yeah. And just um, thank you so much for sharing that part. It It's one of the things about you adds to your list of really unique experiences. And um, so I want to kind of jump ahead because there, there was a lot of life that happened between you being in California and then now you're located in Texas. And can you kind of share with us how you met um, your husband, Joe, and, and how you ended up in Texas. Yeah, that's a fun story. So <laughs> I love this story. Uh, that's why I'm like, <laughs> they need to hear it. <laughs> if you ask my husband, his short version is that I showed up on his doorstep, that God literally put his wife on his doorstep, um, which is fairly accurate <laughs> minus some of the in-between story. Uh, after I gave up my title as Miss Rodeo USA and uh, while I was waiting to go to law school, I had kind of a summer break in between there and um, did some voiceovers and some basically like promotional videos for a Western production company. And my husband's uncle had a cattle roping business at the time and they had us come out to do a promotional video for them. And I literally, like the first time I saw my husband, he was bringing a bunch of Corriente cattle over a hilltop uh, in Henrietta, Texas. And I had no idea that he would be my person for the rest of my life, but I literally did show up on his doorstep. So oh, it was a blessing. I, yeah. And just, you know, that time that you spent, you know, in, in Hollywood as a kid, then, you know, your experience through your rodeo queen journey that then brought you there. And literally, like you said, you kind of showed up on your, your husband's doorstep because you were getting to use some of those same skills with this Western production company. It just, it kind of gives me goosebumps when I think about it because you guys are, um, you know, just such important people in mine and my husband's life. Um, the kind of people that I think when we retire one day and our kids are so busy doing things, these are the people we want to spend our time with, you know? And so um, I'm just so thankful that that you had that summer off and got to meet Joe. Oh, me, you know, I can't imagine he is definitely the calm in my storm. I can't imagine my life without him, you know, as frustrating as husbands can be. Sometimes he really <laughs> yeah. is the calm in my storm. And 
sometimes we forget that in the busyness of our everyday life, we forget what a blessing that other half is to us. And it's, you know, it's easy to take advantage of that when you have such good husband at home or a good wife at home, you know, vice versa. And so I appreciate people like you who remind me that we are are really truly blessed. So take us to the next part. You, you meet Joe Mack, you show up on his doorstep basically. And, um, you know, at the time, I believe you, you were still, well, you were getting ready to go to law school, correct? Yes. Yeah. So I really, I wasn't interested in looking for a relationship. Um, I had decided I had some really, really good girlfriends of mine, Misty Bonds and Courtney and Kit, uh, that all lived in the Fort Worth area at the time. And I decided that's where I wanted to go to law school. I wanted to kind of stay in the Fort Worth area. I liked that part of Texas. I, I knew that Tarrant County had a phenomenal DA's office and I wanted to try to be a part of that. And in order to do that, I really wanted to put my name in that area and start to make connections and network business-wise. And so, um, you know, it wasn't love at first sight. Actually, my husband, I interviewed him in, in part of the promotional video and it was so hard to get him to, he didn't even, he wouldn't even talk to me. He didn't even give me like barely one word answers at, at points in time. And the interview is really one of the hardest interviews I'd ever done. And I actually thought he was kind of a jerk, but what, you know, hindsight, he was just super shy and he was a bit overwhelmed at how fast I could consume information and just regurgitate it out on the video from what his uncle would give me, you know, he would just kind of narrate these are the things that we're doing this is how we're doing it and then we would turn around and we would do some promo shots for those different things and he was just like wow you know just you turned all that information into you know a little monologue on video and so I didn't know it at the time but he was impressed and that flatters me a lot but I I didn't think he was super friendly but uh fast forward to my first semester in law school I was just finishing final exams. The cutting fraternity was going on in Fort Worth. And he had called me and said, hey, my brother and I, a couple of us guys are coming down to Fort Worth to go to the fraternity. Do you want to come with us? And I was like, who is this? (laughs) And so he reminded me who he was. I went and I had never, I had so much fun. I mean, I had laughed so hard that night, which I really truly needed because I'd been super stressed. You know, your first semester of law school, it's kind of a a weeding out process. You're either going to sink or swim and uh, making it through your first set of exams in that semester. It was just super stressful. So I went to the fraternity, had a great time being around horses, being around horse people. Um, And there, you know, my husband and his family, they're so lighthearted. They're they're really just, there's a good, a genuine kindness to his whole family that is hard to explain, but you know it when you're around him. And it was just a lot of fun. I mean, we didn't have a dull moment the whole time. One of their friends was picking up stallion flyers and, and pretending to sell the stallions to just random people walking by just out of entertainment. And it was just a lot of fun. Yeah. It just, it just makes me smile thinking about how just your attitude and can really just kind of changed the whole atmosphere. I mean, we know that, but then when you get to be around people like Joe and his family, um, it, it just reminds you of how incredible that is. Yeah, it, yes. I mean, without a doubt, I, I'm, I definitely fell in love with him that night. Of course, my husband, he's got there, he's talented. I mean, their whole family has so many talents, but 
he's talented with a rope. He's talented with a horse, but a lot of, some people don't know because he is shy. Um, unless he's been drinking a little too much, he's not going to sing for very many people and play the guitar, but he can play the guitar by ear and sing. And, and, you know, we all went back to my apartment in Fort Worth where I lived that night and they, they, he pulled out their guitars and they sang and, and played. And I mean, I just fell in love with him that night. I, I literally did. I was in awe. Um, and we have been dating ever since. And we actually dated a long time. You know, my husband, I have to thank him for his patience because I was in law school. And so he dated somebody who did not put him at the top of their priority list at all. Um, you know, if anybody going through any type of, I don't care if it's a trade school or, you know, your graduate schooling or anything like that, that you're super focused. You have a lot of financial investment in that process. Um, if you don't prioritize, you just, I mean, you're, you're going to have a hard time succeeding. And for me, I worked, uh, with a defense firm, a criminal defense firm in Dallas. So I commuted from Fort Worth to Dallas after school. And then I, then I had night classes. And so he was just super patient. And I, I, you know, it was almost the end of my law school career before I actually made it up to Henrietta to visit him and his family here. You know, I mean, he waited for basically two and a half years before I ever came up here for a date. He always came to me. And I, you know, looking back I just can't imagine it working if he expected me to return that investment right away when he was just so patient with me and understood and really supported me in my law school, you know, studies because he really never, I mean, when I had final exams and I, I said, no, I can't meet y'all or no, I can't come to that roping or whatever it was, you know, at Christmas when I'm studying in my books, he would take me up to his uncle's office. So I had a quiet spot to study and, you know, that patience and that grace that he gave me at the front is just such a blessing. And I had no idea at the time, but when you look back at it and you think, would I have been able to do the same thing? You know, sometimes we all have expectations in our relationship and he was just patient and, and gave me so much grace. And I, I can't imagine where we would be if he had not done that. Yeah. I mean, it's just so beautiful. Um, being able to look back on that process. And like you said, it just brings on a whole different level of like of deeper appreciation when you think about it. And um, so when Katie, whenever you finished, um, you know, law school, what, what was that like? Um, take us through kind of your next steps of um, figuring out what, what you wanted to do with your law degree. So, you know, I wanted, I knew from a very young age, I wanted to be an attorney. I have an uncle who was a retired judge. Um, and then my mom being in, in the domestic violence realm, she was often going to court and taking victims to court and helping them testify and encouraging them to stand their ground or try to, you know, make sure that they didn't return to that same abusive situation. I learned a lot growing up from my family and the exposure of really my parents given the shirt off their back for so many different people in our life um, that I knew what I wanted to do. And I knew I wanted to be a prosecutor. So going into law school, I had that in my mind, but you, you really, I mean, you can intern for free with judges and prosecutor's office, but until you actually have at least your student bar card, you really don't get to have a paid internship. So I had to work for um, a defense firm. And actually that was a 
that was, you know, God has such a good plan and, and we don't see it at the time, but the defense firm I went, I got a good chance to work for was a phenomenal group of attorneys. And I learned a tremendous amount from them on the defense side and how to look at cases and how, and they worked cases all the way through. So they did not just trial work, but they did appellate and, and writ work. And um, they do a lot of the capital writs for death row in Texas. And so I had exposure through the whole process, trial, appeal, writs in the defense firm. Um, and that was my first two years of law school that I worked for them. And then when I got my third year bar card, I interviewed and I was lucky enough to land a student internship at the DA's office that actually paid um, because I, I needed the income. And so I got to start networking in the DA's office. And that was actually, a, that was what I think started getting my foot in the door by far. Uh, worked for actually one of my mentors. I got placed in her court. That was my first internship. Her name is Christy Jack. She's a phenomenal uh, was a phenomenal prosecutor, is a phenomenal defense attorney now because she's in private practice as well. So getting to intern with her in that third year and then obviously graduating law school, your main goal is to then sit and pass the bar exam, which is a three-day exam. And it's literally uh, a beating. I, you know, I know people that are licensed in multiple states and they sit for multiple bar exams. One bar exam was enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> One three-day exam was plenty, um, and you know you basically spend an entire three-month period in between your graduation of law school and sitting for the bar exam, studying. And you spend eight hours a day. I did not work during that time. I, you know, I had planned finances and I had the support and help of my family. Thank goodness, but I literally studied for the bar exam as if it was a job. I spent eight to 10 hours a day in our school library studying for the bar exam up until taking it and then taking the bar exam. And actually my husband, he drove me down there and helped me get everything in, in my room before the bar exam, you know, and then said, I'll come, I'll come get you when it's over and we'll go to dinner. And so um, sat for the bar exam. You don't know your you don't know your results until November. So we sit for the bar exam in July and you get your results in, I think it was November. Um, but in the meantime, you're still active on what's called your student bar card. So your third year student bar card. So I transitioned from my internship to trying to seek, um, get a spot, one of the coveted spots in the DA's office and interview to hire on as a misdemeanor attorney at the Tarrant County DA's office. And, um, you know, what's going through your mind is just how lucky you are to be there. Of course, you're praying that you pass the bar exam, but you don't know. And you're still trying to interview for jobs in the meantime, you know, on the, on the premise that you're going to have a, a license by the time the bar results come out and you're just hoping and praying that God's plan is at work in your life in that time. Oh man, just hearing you describe that, it just seems like an overwhelming amount of um, unknown and um, stress, but I can't help but think back, um, you know, as you were, you and I knew each other at this point when you were going through this process. Oh, yes. And um, I remember you sharing with me how during the interview process, you know, like you, you got some really great feedback because you had so many um, kind of unique qualities that some of the other people that were applying for these jobs or I say qualities but also like experiences such as being a rodeo queen um that 
that other people didn't have. So can you share with us a little bit about just um, how you were able to kind of intertwine those stories and share the, the skill set you had from being a cowgirl and, and being a promoter of, you know, the Western way of life? So one thing that, you know, when you're doing, you, you start to learn to do your resume, you know, when you're in high school and, and whatever, but in between high school and me graduating law school, there's a lot of years that had surpassed. And I, I've, I've had the privilege of doing a lot of different jobs. You know, I've worked at a cell phone store. I've worked at a jewelry store. I've, I've worked my way through college, you know, through my undergrad. I did, I did a junior college first and then I went to college and then um, I ended up finishing college in Oklahoma and then applying to law school in Texas. And so in the midst of all that time, I've carried a lot of different titles and jobs and experience. And I really think that those, all those steps in my life put me in the best position possible and putting those things on my resume that made me stand out or, you know, that were just different and unique because there's, there, and there's nothing wrong with this, but there are a lot of people that go from high school to college, to grad school, to, you know, to their career. Um, and there's not a lot of life experience in there. And I think when I sat for my job interview at the DA's office, that's one of the questions they ask you is what sets you apart from our other applicants? And my first response is my life experience. You know, I don't know how many applicants can say that one, I've carried so many different jobs. I've dealt with the public in so many different ways. Um, you know, whether it be being a Miss Radio USA, being a local title holder in the 4-H division, you know, as a kid growing up all the way till I was 18 and graduating from 4-H, working at the different jobs that I worked, all those things gave me a tremendous ability to be able to relate to people in a different way and be able to apply experience to my caseload, which I think makes a huge difference in your ability as not just an attorney, but in your ability as a professional in any industry. Because experience gives you so much more depth, right? I can look at something as an 18 year old and think X, Y, Z, because this is what's black and white on the paper, but I don't have a lot of life experience to read between the lines. Mm -hmm. And when you're older, you have that life experience that gives you a lot bigger story than what you would have had had I just you know, gone through the motions and not taken those wonderful breaks in my life to do all these different goals that I had. Yeah. I, and when you said that about how experience gives a person depth, oh, that's so good. You articulated that so well. Um, so you, not to spoil the end of the story, but, but you did get on with the Tarrant County um, DA. Yes, I was very lucky. Uh, I started at the bottom of the ladder like everybody else. So I started in what was called the misdemeanor division in Tarrant County. You know, obviously Tarrant County is a large county. It's Fort Worth, Texas. Um, so we had a lot of courts. We had 10 misdemeanor courts, 10 felony courts, and it was strictly the criminal division that I did. So my goal has always been trial work. I like people. I enjoy people. I always wanted to do trial um, all through law school. That was kind of my priority. So I would take the courses or take the professors that were trial attorneys. And so that's why I ended up with a lot of night classes also because I worked, but those night classes were taught by professors who were still practicing attorneys. And I think that that was such an asset because I did some networking, I got great experience and they helped guide your path towards what you wanted to do, which for me was trial work in the DA's office. And, um, and I was lucky to be one of those selected to, 
be hired on and then find out that I actually passed the bar. So be a licensed attorney and proceed to try a numerous amount of cases at the DA's office and then progress through the ladder from misdemeanor court to a felony court trial attorney. And I stayed there for just about five years, um, which I dated my husband through all of that. So again, he traveled a lot to Fort Worth and me not so much here. And at some point we decided in our relationship that obviously we both wanted more. And so I was trying to work my way in that direction. What was I going to do? How was I going to transfer my career here? Um, you know, would I still practice law here? Would I do, you know, there's a lot of things you can do as a licensed attorney that doesn't necessarily mean practicing law, but for me, that's what I enjoy. I enjoy trial work. And so, you know, a little bit of it was soul searching. Would I be able to do defense work? Because I am a very conservative person by nature. Um, but I think that my exposure related back to when I worked at the defense firm in Dallas, Rawls Judition and Anton, and they had phenomenal, I mean, the partners in that law firm, I still, I still call on them for advice sometimes. I mean, they were phenomenal mentors, attorneys, trial lawyers. And so one of those attorneys in that office, I had asked him, you know, when I was getting ready to leave is what makes it easy for you to do defense work? Because a lot of people see defense attorneys as, you know, bad, or, I mean, it has a very negative connotation when people hear you're a criminal defense attorney, they just, they just kind of, oh, okay. And they don't really want to know more. His response was, really what the mindset should be of any attorney is I'm the checks and balances to the system. I'm making sure that person gets the fair trial, that they're, that everybody's following the rules in the game. And without a defense attorney that's on their game and making sure everybody else is following the rules, then people are not getting a fair shot. Then it's not innocent until proven guilty. It's, you know, suspected guilty, found guilty. And so I, you know, with that mindset, I moved from the prosecutor's office and, and all that trial experience was tremendously helpful for me to move over here and have my own practice, open up a private criminal defense practice. And in a small town, I do a little bit of everything. I'll, I do wills, I'll, you know, sometimes I do contracts, I do letters for people, you name it, but primarily I do criminal defense because I enjoy trial work. Yeah, and until, you know, until you, um, explained to me, you know, kind of your role, I had that same negative connotation, you know, you watch law and order, or you, you, the things that you see that you don't necessarily really understand the whole story. And when you explained it to me, you know, you, you were the checks and balances for the system. I thought, man, how incredible is that? Um, because whether, whether it's now, or it's been in our past, or it's a distant family or friend, we all know somebody that has gotten themselves in a bond or been in the wrong place at the wrong time or, you know, and it's just, when you start thinking about somebody having a vested interest in a person they don't even know, but they've decided to pursue a career to make sure this stranger they don't know gets a fair shot to at least tell their story. Um, that mean, they're innocent always, but I just um, just really respect what you do and, and being able to open my eyes, you know, is giving me somebody that it's like, okay, this this is what that actually means, you know, when you hear the term defense attorney or, or a criminal defense attorney. And some, and you know, and I'll 
when I was at that defense firm, they, they explained to me, you know, they knew I wanted to be a prosecutor. When I interviewed for them, that was, I told them, you know, my goal was to work at the DA's office in Tarrant County. Um, and so they, they always knew that throughout my entire time there, but they gave me so much, so much exposure to things. And one of the Bruce Stanton, one of the older attorneys, I traveled with him to, to Houston, to death row and met with him with all of his clients and stuff. And you just, it, it opened my eyes as a young person, not quite a licensed attorney, but at the time as a young person, and then getting into the prosecutor's office, I think I definitely carried a little bit different personality than I would have had I not had that experience at the defense firm, because I, it opened my eyes to the other side of, mm -hmm. you know, of these people are people too. And so oftentimes you can you know, if you're not on that side or never seen that side of the fence where you don't have much life experience, you cannot relate to that person being a human being. You see them as a criminal, a label, you know? And so it does, it, it definitely takes some growth from you as a person. Like I definitely have to step back at times and say, this is what I'm doing. This is what my goals are. But I also have clients who are people that, like you said, are, they're just people who have had a bump in the road, you know, maybe they got a DWI, maybe it was something so small, maybe they've lost their job and they stole a steak to feed their family, or they stole some stuff from the dollar general to feed their family, whatever. I'm not saying it excuses their behavior, but there's a lot of times that there's so much more to the facts than what you read in the, in the offense report or just in black and white. And then, you know, the, my mom's social work background definitely comes into play because I get a chance to help these people from a different angle. I get a chance to try to get them back on track or figure out why this is happening for them. And it doesn't work with all your clients. It, you know, there's definitely a lot of times that you see your client and you, you've handled your case, your case is done and you know, they're, they're still going down that same path. But then there are clients that call me and they say, you know, I'm, I'm two years sober and I'm married and I've started a family. I have, a, I've had a steady job. My life is so much better. And I just want to thank you for having faith in me and talking to me and being straight with me and, and not, you know, not just running me through the system like so many other people would do. And I think that makes a difference. That that's really what has carried me through in my last five years of private practice is those, you know, few and far between, but those ones that call you back and say, thank you, that, that makes a world of difference. Yeah. You, well, you have so much just hearing you share that you've got so much passion for what you do as well as compassion for people. And, um, you know, I've gotten to be on the receiving end of that as your friend. And I'm, I'm so, so grateful for that. And, um, I, and I know that like time is super valuable and there's so much more. We're probably going to have to do a second episode <laughs> just to where we can, um, you know, share more with people. But, you know, you're you you mentioned you've been um, in pra private practice for you know over five years now. And in that time, you know, you've gotten married, you have two small children, continued your practice and somehow, you know, you're still managing to show up and, and be a great friend and a wife and. I'm just wondering how, how do you step away, Katie, from when you have these really heavy cases on you, um, like emotionally and mentally, how do you step away from work just to be present with family? And, and then how do you dive back in sometimes? So I'm human. <laughs> I don't always step away very well. Um, you know, some of my bigger cases, they definitely 
they stay with you. I mean, even when you finish the case, whether you've tried it or, you know, something's worked out in a plea agreement or whatever, some of those cases, they weigh with you forever. When I was a prosecutor, I still carry stuff with me from those cases, you know, thoughts, you know, heartbreak for families and people that have lost loved ones or people that have lost loved ones in the criminal justice system. The, I would say when I said that Joe is the calm in my storm, he is a reminder every now and then he'll say, Hey babe, you gotta be, you gotta be present with us, you know, put that down. You can come back to that. And, and I need that because I can be a workaholic. Um, and so it's been a growth for me to find that balance, but I, you know, it was harder for me with my, just my first child. Now that I've had a second child and she's 18 months, sometimes you don't have an option. <laughs> you have to step away. Um, one, because I don't want to miss things. You know, I, uh, we've worked so hard, my husband and I, in our life to get to the point where we are, we just, we want to be able to take some of those moments and be present for them and remember them. And so that's my reminder is when, you know, my little one says, Hey mama, can you come play with me? And I've been at the computer for the last three hours. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I can, and I'll get back to this. Maybe it means a later night for me on the computer after everybody goes to bed. And maybe it means I get up like I did this morning at five 30 and start work before everybody wakes up and I start breakfasts and lunches for school. It just means a balance. You in and as the mother, and you know this now, you and I have talked about it, you find you find a way to be more productive in a shorter period of time. You learn how to really condense, how to simplify some of your things, how to, you know, how to chop things off your list, the harder first, and then the easier things that you can maybe have some lead way on, you might have to push till tomorrow, or you might have to have it, you know, later at night at 10 o'clock, you're writing whatever letter you got to write for somebody you just learn to be more productive in a shorter period of time as a mom. And, and sometimes I have a hard time, but my husband's my, my reminder, you know, that this God and my family, this is why, this is why I do everything I do. Not, not the adverse, you know, I don't do everything I do for my work. I do everything I do in my work for my family. And so he's a good reminder that I need to step away sometimes and just be there with my family. Oh, so, so good, Katie. Um, do you, I mean, I feel like you just gave some incredible, you did incredible advice right there. Um, but to anybody who, who's not in the mom chapter yet, because um, I find myself, you know, sharing stuff from that angle now, because that's, that's the season <laughs> of life I'm in. But yes. if you could go back um, and, you know, share with your 18, 20 year old um, self and any of the listeners that are there, what, what advice, um, would you give yourself? So probably the advice <laughs> that I get from my mom and dad and always have in my life that don't let any, don't any, let any label or anybody's cautionary statements keep you from doing what you want to do. You know, throughout my whole life, having done some acting in Hollywood, having done, you know, 4-H, FFA, working at all the jobs that I've done and then carrying the titles that I carried as a queen and then carrying titles in my professional career. Had I let people's cautionary advice 
stop me or deter me from doing what I really, really wanted to do, I would not have experienced so many of the great things in my life. I wouldn't have met my husband. I wouldn't have been a prosecutor in Tarrant County. I wouldn't now have my own law practice because people can say, you know, it's, it's little things like, you know, oh, you're not from Fort Worth. You don't really have any Fort Worth relatives in the DA's office. You're not going to get in there. They don't know who you are or you're not from this small town. So when you open a practice, you know, they're going to go to so-and-so down the road whose father was an attorney here. If I let all that cautionary advice dampen the path that I took, I would never be where I'm at. And, and I've had failures. And that's one thing that I would remind my 18 or 21 year old self is, you know, I made mistakes all through life as a young person, as a rodeo queen as a professional in the DA's office. And now as a professional on my own, I don't have all the answers and I'm far, far from perfect. I, I definitely will make my mistakes, but I'm not afraid to make them. And that I think is the difference between me now and me at 18 is like some hesitation I had in my life. And if it wasn't for my parents standing behind me saying, don't listen to them, that doesn't matter. What do you want to do? We are behind you. I had that support system and I know that everybody doesn't surround yourself with the people who will support you. If it, if it's not at home, find it in your friends, find it in your mentors. There will be people out there that will push you in that direction and will not let every, everybody else's negativity get in your way. I'm smiling so big right now. I just want to be like, preach it, preach it from like <laughs> the mountaintops. Like everybody needs to hear that message. So um, Katie, thank you so much. Um, we're going to kind of wrap up with these last few questions. I, I like to ask everybody that comes on the podcast. So what is the wildest thing in your travels and, um, you know, being a cowgirl and now mom life that you've had to fix on the fly with either bungee cords, bailing wire or duct tape? Oof. So, uh, with, uh, actually when we were hauling out to Miss Radio USA to compete, my dad and I, we got a flat tire and it damaged the fender on the trailer. So we had to use duct tape to help the fender on the trailer. And then most recently as a mama, I've had to zip tie my fender on my SUV because I backed into my husband's flatbed trailer. Yes, I did. See, I say we all make mistakes. I'm still making mistakes. Backed into my husband's flatbed trailer. Thank God his trailer was okay. But I tore my fender off my car. And so I had to use zip ties <laughs> to put the fender back on so I could go about my business and take care of the things I needed to do. So um, oh, yeah. we, you never get over zip ties, duct tape, bailing wire, you name it. We use it for all kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to always be prepared. Um, I love that. They both Okay, Katie, you know, this podcast is dedicated to just really sharing the idea of how important it is for women to embrace the cowgirl state of mind, whether they've never, you know, had the opportunity to swing their leg over a horse, or they've gotten to grow up around horses in the Western industry, like, you know, like ourselves. So um, what does the phrase cowgirl state of mind mean to you? All right. So the phrase, I mean, the first thing that came to my mind was the picture of my mom, picture of my mother-in-law, um, picture of those strong women in my life that are fierce in every way and shape and form and not fierce as in hard to deal with or harsh, but fierce in life. You know, they just take things head on. They are not deterred by, you know, letdowns or obstacles. 
of any kind or shape. And they still give the shirts off their back to anybody who needs it. And I think that that's what it brings to my mind is that kind of that loyalty, that dedication, that fierceness, that inner strength that is indescribable. And it doesn't have to come from being a horse person. My mom was not raised with horses. She didn't have horses until she was an adult and I was blessed to be raised with them. But that fierceness in my mom came from, you know, so many other things in her life. And albeit she didn't have horses, she was always a cowgirl at heart. She loved horses from a very young age. You know, she was always that epitome of what I see when you talk about the cowgirl state of mind. It's just that strength, that fierceness, that loyalty, and that genuine kindness that it doesn't matter who you are, what path you've come from, they're going to help you continue your journey one way or another. And it, it might take their last dollar to do it, but they will. I feel like you just described yourself. <laughs> I mean, I just, um, and I couldn't I agree hope, with I'm, I'm working at it. I'm hoping to be, you know, a woman like my mother someday. Absolutely. That's definitely a goal of mine. Yeah. I, I can assure you, you are, you are, I feel like you're there, but I'll just say you're well on your way to being, um, that woman that you just described that cowgirl. So, um, Katie, I thank you so much. This is such a treat us getting to catch up. I've loved it. I know I've so enjoyed it. Can you tell everybody, um, you know, where they could go to kind of follow along if they're needing, um, some, some attorney help, um, you know, and they're in your area, how can they get in touch with you? Well, my, my law firm is the Woods firm. Um, and it has a Facebook page and then, you know, cause what doesn't have a Facebook page these days? Right. I also have a Facebook page. My name on my Facebook is I think Katie Woods Bogeman. Um, because they don't let you take off your old last name. So I just added in my new last name and it's B-O-G-G-E-M-A-N. Um, and then as always, you know, shoot me a message on there and I'll be glad to give them my email or my phone number, whatever they need. Uh, if they just want to chat or they want to ask questions, I'm, I'm always an open door. And people that are interested in law school or people that are interested in horses or both, you know, please, I'd, I'd be glad to help you on your journey. Oh, well, thank you so much. I'll be sure to put um, that contact information in the show notes. So everybody, you can go check there as well um, oh. to, to find that. And um, Katie, just thank you again. Thank you for having me. I can't, I love your podcast. You are actually the first podcast that I've ever listened to um, more regular. And so I'm super excited and I'm so proud of you. And you really are. I know you say that you always look up to so many people, but you're such a jewel in this world. And I'm so, so, so proud to call you my friend. Oh, thank you. Okay. I'm, we're going to have to get off here and then you stay on okay. so we can cry. Um, and okay. you know, <laughs> close to that. So um, yeah, thank you for such a genuine compliment. And I thank all of you for listening. I'm glad you got to meet my dear friend, Katie Woods Bogeman. Thank you for spending your time with me on the Cowgirl Confessions podcast. I'm so glad y'all stopped by. If you could take a moment to share this episode and tag us on social media, I'd be happier than a cowgirl in a sea of buy one, get one vintage turquoise. Subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode. New episodes will be released bi-monthly. Please leave us a review if you feel so led by going to iTunes. Your feedback will really help us breed the idea of grabbing life by the horns with a cowgirl state of mind into women across the globe. Some that may have never even had the privilege to throw their leg over a horse, but could most certainly use the cowgirl state of mind while navigating life. 
Thanks again, y'all. Until next time, keep pursuing your dreams with that all go and no woe mentality. Remember, you're writing a story that's worth saddling up for, sister.